this is one thing that makes men subject to toxic ideologies, in my opinion, is that there's this thirst for significance. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't get that significance in your day to day life and then someone has some idea being like, oh, you know why things are going badly for you? Because these people are keeping you down and here's how we can fight them. Then you start getting attracted to that because it makes you part of something important. Yes. And men crave that. Yes. There's a crave to take things like be a man and like that's yours or go get it. Um, And that can be done well or very poorly in the way that men approach women and things like that. There's the competition, the ego, the hubris, but also turns into apathy or hate or racism. These darker pieces of otherness or other people are causing this. And so to me as society, we need to talk about that and understand that. Um, Frederick Douglass, what did he say? It's in your book. He said, uh, it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. And when men start getting these seeds, it gets very, very, very difficult to to come back. And I've seen that. And there's a lot of them industry work my dad does. You have men, they're just, they're just broken. They're beat. This week on Forward, Zach and I talk about American masculinity, what is going wrong, what could go right. This week on Forward. We are back. And this week, we're going to talk about a subject that's near and dear to Zach's heart, to my heart, to your heart, manhood. We did promise this last week. Yes. We talked a little bit about video games and we said this is a deeper conversation about, frankly, it's societies and specifically men's relationship with their masculinity and what it means to be a man. And and how that bleeds into our politics in yeah, various ways. The social consequences of it. So I, I was just looking at the vote totals for 2020 mm-hmm. and Trump won among non-college educated white men. 66% to 31%. Mm-hmm. I mean, like that that's the core of Trump's base. And uh, one of the things that I found in my book, uh, The War on Normal People, seen here. Plug. Plug. Uh, and this is why I ran for president, is that we had eliminated about 5 million manufacturing jobs over a period of 15, uh, 17 years. Right. Went from 17 million to 12 million. Mm-hmm. Now, the bulk of that, in my view, was due to automation. Some people say globalization. You could you know, parse out different percentages, but the reality is America lost 5 million manufacturing jobs over that period. Right, and the most, mostly? Mostly men. men. So three quarters of those manufacturing jobs were held by men. Now, if you th- imagine men working in a factory, a lot of them are not college educated. So when those men left their jobs, lost their jobs, they often uh, were put adrift in in the economy Mm -hmm. uh, in a way that was very, very punishing and punitive. And for a lot of them, things went south very, very dramatically, where you had massive surges in substance abuse, uh, in alcoholism, in deaths of despair. And this, to me, was the driving force behind Trump's victory. Mm Uh, and that bleeds into the way society talks about masculinity because mm-hmm. there was a point 
in the not so distant past where if you were a non-college educated man, you could live a fine middle class life. Mm -hmm. You could get married. You could uh, have kids, make a living. Manufacturing was one of the most prevalent jobs um, in the economy right. for uh, men without college degrees. And then you get rid of a lot of those jobs and then the bottom falls out for a lot of these men. Right. And what we wanted to talk about today was one, I wanted to like unpack what you wrote in your book, but I also, and I'm personal, my, so my dad was, uh, still does a lot of work in men's ministry. And so I've like grew up in that and I've seen what happens to men if various external factors happen and they don't have a great relationship with their own masculinity, their own role as a man. And I think I want this conversation to be helpful for both men and women listening to this because I think the conversation we're having right now on a national scale and what's coming out on men, I think is massively destructive. Um, and I think you agree. I, um, I, I do. And I, I think that it's taking place along party lines in a particular way. Mm -hmm. It's taking place along educational lines. Uh, and I, I really dearly do want to unpack it and help people understand. Yeah. So let's dive in. I got my laptop on my lap for this episode because I, I dove in. So your book, I want. let's talk about, you pointed out, a, <laughs> these numbers are going to blow your mind again like they did when I first read it. But you pointed out a lot of problems with boys and men in the book you're holding. A couple I'll, I'll say right now. A study by MIT poverty researcher uh, David Autor, Otter. Otter, uh, showed that when manufacturing work becomes less available, the proportion of men who get married in affected communities declines. So the average male wages have declined since 1990 in real terms. And a Pew study that showed that many men are foregoing or delaying marriage because they do not feel financially secure. The same study said that for women, having a steady job was the single biggest factor when they were looking for a spouse. Yeah. And the, there's a table on page 126 in my book where it says the proportion of working class adults who get married has plummeted from 70 percent in 1970. So if you're a working class adult, you want to get married, odds were you could find a mate and have, mm -hmm. you know, have a family to only 45 percent today. So now there's like a less than 50 50 chance that you're going to get married if you're a working class adult. So think about all of those uh, people. But we're just going to talk about men for a second that never get married. And a lot of that is because their economic prospects have dimmed. And uh, the reality is that if you're a woman and you look around at your uh, potential partners mm -hmm. and you see that, hey, they don't have steady jobs and they're shiftless and you're like, oh, like maybe I don't want to marry this dude and uh, start a family. And so you're seeing marriage rates go down uh, across the board. The other stat that was crazy and you talked about the number of men who are unemployed or out of the workforce. Um, there was an Atlantic article that said there were 10 million men. One of six American uh, prime age, 25 to 54 men are either unemployed or out of the workforce. Yahoo has a new study recently that said that number is one third. It's going up. And then going forth, you end up with other things that come to this. So you have people are still having kids. So you end up with kids born to single mothers or single parents. It's like 41% yeah. of American kids are born to unmarried moms. And so if you want now some of them grow up in functionally two parent households in various ways. They're like two people that are living together, but they're just not married. A lot of them, though, are growing up in single parent households. Right. And if you and if you're growing up in a single parent household, there's an 85, 90 percent chance that you're growing up with the mom. There are, of course, single fathers out right. there, but they're outnumbered, you know, eight or nine to one right. by the single moms. 
So the single mom has a girl, then the girl has a strong role model and the outcomes are okay. If the single mom has a boy, unfortunately boys are more sensitive to parental time input yes. than girls. So if you have a single mom, let's say she's working, um, and then you're a boy and you're left to your own devices, you're more likely to have behavioral problems, academic problems, maturation problems. And so you're seeing this in schools around the country. There are a lot of boys who are struggling mm -hmm. in various ways academically, much more likely to have ADHD uh, or, or autism. Mm -hmm. uh, and so then they go into uh, high school, college. Uh, girls do better academically. Mm -hmm. um, girls do better in high school. They vastly outnumber boys in terms of high school valedictorians as one example. These numbers are crazy, by the way. Girls kick men's ass in school for a number of reasons, but um, yes. with or without the society disintegrating. Um, it, it, it's kind effects. of an international phenomenon too, yeah. which is that girls are better than boys at school mm -hmm. uh, uh, through grade 12. Now that plays out in terms of college enrollments where about 58% of American college students are women, 42% men. At this point, colleges are, are even leaning a little bit, being like, hey, we'd like to have some more guys. I think that they're, you know, frankly, lowering their standards a bit, trying to keep the gender balance from going completely out of whack. So there are all of these differences um, throughout development. And, and, uh, and this is where I want to talk about kind of the, the two sides of the coin, where you have one side of the coin, which is the, um, the non-college educated part of the population. Right. And then you have the college educated Part of the population which you want to lead off with let's start with non-college it's kind of where we dove in at first right yes so if you look at the non-college educated population uh again the opportunities for men have been dramatically reduced in number mm -hmm. and so the these men and one of the numbers that shocked me when i was researching this book was that at this point the health outcomes for non-college educated white men are the same as they are for uh, uh black men um, and there used to be a huge difference. There used to be a huge gap, right? And then now those the, those outcomes have converged, mm -hmm. in part because black outcomes, you know, improved in some places, but like white outcomes got worse. Mm -hmm. So, and the, and again, if you have uh, non college educated women, then they look at these potential partners and say, pass, yeah. <laughs> you know. And, and sometimes they'll have a kid, and they'll be like, look, I'm better off uh, trying to raise this kid myself uh, or multiple kids myself without uh, this male partner. Um, who is the father, because you have high levels of substance abuse and other problems. Um, so that's the non-college educated phenomenon because we've gotten rid of most paths to the middle class for non-college ed educated men. If you look at that opportunity set, manufacturing was one of the most common. Uh, the other most common jobs are retail and sales, mm -hmm. food service and food prep, truck driving and transportation, and uh, administration, and clerical work. Clerical work. Yeah. So uh, administration and clerical work and retail and sales skew female. Mm -hmm. uh, truck driving skews dramatically male. It's like 94% mm -hmm. male. Manufacturing uh, was 75% male. It's mm -hmm. not quite as dramatic, but it's still, uh, you know, 70% plus men. Um, so the, the opportunity set for men is not what it once was and nothing new has come to replace it if you don't have a college degree. This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that. Private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. 
Now imagine all that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record, your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know what they're doing. You don't get to have your say. That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your Internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private internet. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to track me and harvest my data. No matter what device you're on, you just hit one button and you get your own protected connection. So if like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com yang and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S vpn.com yang. Go to expressvpn.com yang to learn more. So the jobs are drying up, the family is drying up, the opportunity to have a solid mate is drying up. But we there's a different men and women who are in this similar situation who maybe lose their job. The 25% of women that were in manufacturing losing their same job, they are responding different to this economic situation. Women are more adaptable than men to that kind of change in circumstance. They're more likely to go back to school as one example. Mm -hmm. If you look at men who are unemployed, their propensity to go to church or volunteer at a nonprofit actually goes down, not up when, when they're when unemployed, Jeez. even though they have more time. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the issues for uh, for guys is that without a livelihood, their sense of self-worth plummets and then their uh, desire to go out and volunteer also plummets. Do you know why that is? I mean, I think that's like the core of this. Um, and we've been trying to get to a better equality of opportunity for men and women, but men and women are so different and the numbers are screaming off the page. Uh, I have thoughts too, but it goes back to kind of what we talk about video games. Two men are more likely to dive into video games or spend a lot of the, their new free time spent on the computer in this situation. Why do you think that is? So here's a quote from George or Orwell. A man with no means of filling up time is as miserable out of work as a dog on the chain. Mm -hmm saying that if a guy, there's that other saying, you know, idle hands are the devil's tool. Devil's right. tools. I think they're referring to men. <laughs> yeah. Primarily, primarily. So women deal with idleness better than men. Yes. Um, women in a way are not ever truly idle. Uh, you know, like that they'll be able to improve their environment, uh, improve themselves, go back to school, uh, spend time with each other. Uh, they don't have the same kind of negative social externality uh, pattern that men do. Men who are idle start gambling, drinking, uh, doing drugs, and uh, become antisocial pretty quickly. Right. And a lot of people listening to this have seen some version of this in their own lives. Maybe they felt that. And it's something that I will say I personally uh, sympathize with a great deal. One of the things I, I, I say in The War on Normal People is that Every guy has the seeds of a failed man inside of him. Right. And so you can see when someone does fail, when a, when a guy fails, you're like, oh, my gosh, like that 
could be me because you kind of know yourself. You know that there's some part of you that just wants to go to the basement mm -hmm. and hang out and play video games and avoid the world. What are those seeds in your eyes? Like what are the seeds of a dysfunctional man? You know what I'm saying? Like I think every guy Well, well one of one of the it. one of the things I joke about with Evelyn sometimes is that if you're an unmarried man, you your life will likely end earlier. Like yeah. you, you you will die by the numbers. By the numbers. You yeah. will die what is it? 7 10 years earlier? Yeah, it's almost a decade, right? And if you are an unmarried woman, no effect on your lifespan. Like guys do not make women live longer. <laughs> <laughs> we have no impact. Yes. Women uh, make guys live longer. Right. And now that I am married, I understand why. Um, I also, so I'm 47. I have friends who are unmarried and may never marry. And you can see that the kind of returns on male activities are going down mm. over time. Like I am so grateful to be married in part because the, the things that you get a charge out of as a young man give you a little bit less joy <laughs> as, you, as you get older. And so you start shifting gears where now I get pleasures of, you know, like uh, being a dad and like bringing the, the boys to a sporting event and living vicariously through, through mm -hmm. them and mellowing out and watching uh, you know, succession with Evelyn or whatever it is. Right. So, yeah. so, so, you know, you have like these simple pleasures. Um, and I think the seeds of failure for guys are that uh, we need to feel some degree of uh, progress, achievement, stature, appreciation, virility, mm -hmm. appreciation. And video games uh, form a perfect avenue for this because if you spend a bit of time, you get stronger, you get more powerful, you get richer, you mm -hmm. get um, more friends. You get to win, right? This competition. You get to win. Right? Uh, and so here's a quote from Jonathan Gottschall, who writes about gaming. Virtual worlds give back what has been scooped out of modern life. It gives us back community, a feeling of competence, and a sense of being an important person whom people depend on. Yes. Yes. And that is what a lot of what a job does. Yeah. And then what, but what's fascinating to me, and this is what I kind of want to get into, is that the job or that sense of duty or responsibility or appreciation or respect that men are craving, when, they, when it's not there, there's seeds of the seeds of dysfunction, seeds of dysfunction, dysfunctional masculinity, masculinity or the dysfunctional male start to seep in, start to plant. And those are either, I, I wrote down, I was like, it's either thinking with the wrong head, which is the... Uh, Sure. The Robin Williams quote is like, God gave men two heads and only enough blood to run one at a time. It's probably, I think it's accurate. I think avoiding responsibility, like almost hiding and numbing the pain, whether that's drugs or alcohol or kind of that escapism. Um, this is one thing that makes men subject to toxic ideologies, in my opinion, is that there's this thirst for significance. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't get that significance in your day-to-day -day life and then someone has some idea being like oh you know why things are going badly for you because these people are keeping you down and here's how right. we can fight them then you start getting attracted to that because it makes you part of something important yes and men crave that yes there's a crave to take things like be a man and like that's yours or go get it um and that can be done well or very poorly in the way that men approach women and things like that there's the competition, the ego, the hubris, but it also turns into apathy or hate or racism, you know, these darker pieces of otherness or other people are causing this. 
And so to me as a society, we need to talk about that and understand that. Um, Frederick Douglass, what did he say? It's in your book. He said, uh, it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. And when men start getting these seeds, it gets very, very, very difficult to to come back. And I've seen that. And there's a lot of them industry work my dad does. You have men that are just, they're just broken. They're beat. This is in some ways a grossly oversimplified way to think about the struggle that America is going through, where you have this uh, disintegrating way of life for millions of men and a need for significance um, and anger. And and the the question is, can we manage this process in a way that keeps people strong and whole and healthy and even understanding what's happening? Right. Or is it going to be like, uh, you know, oh, like, screw you, like your, your perspective is unimportant. Um, you know, like we don't care about you. Uh, and, and so th- one of the things I want to switch to is what's happening among the college educated yeah. cohort that ends up in, in many ways obscuring a lot of these struggles. Correct. Yes. So let's go there. So among the college educated crew, it's, it's a very different uh, environment. Um, so let's say you have 58% women, 42% men in college. That might not seem that dramatically different, but it's it's a lot. And over time, and it gets. <laughs> so if the numbers, if you change the numbers slightly to 60, 40, um, what that would mean is that one third of college educated women um, will not have a college educated man to marry when they want to get married. Uh, and that is the case um, in part because college educated women will essentially not consider any non-college educated man to get married in most circumstances. Yeah, by the numbers. By the by the numbers. Right. So you'll wind up with a very significant number of college educated women who will not marry. I mean, they might decide to have kids independently. Mm-hmm. And then they're going into environments and it varies wildly by industry. But the the overwhelming narrative is that if you look at certain environments, finance, tech, media to, you know, a large extent, some of the most highly visible industries, they tend to be somewhat male dominated. Mm-hmm. And so the movement is for women who are going into this environment say, hey, we outnumber men at, at the entry levels, but then you go up to the top, let's say it's a law firm, because right. I have some experience with that environment. Yeah. The number of law school graduates is essentially a gender, gender parity now, male, female. Um, but if you look at the partnerships, it's like very, very male dominated. Right. Um, and so the active movement is to say, hey, this stuff is out of whack. We need more female CEOs, you know, more female Correct. partners. We need more female board members. And so the narrative is around um, men marginalizing women in these environments, which is a very different environment than what we were just discussing, which is like there are, you know, legions of men who don't have um, meaningful opportunities among right. the less educated set. So uh, in among the educated universe, it's like, hey, why, why do guys have all the power and money? Right. And our response to that has been promoting women faster, I guess, slowly but surely. Like we are, I mean, you, have you seen people or companies start to level the playing field or you still think it's a, I, it, a it's dynamic? It's still very, very out of whack. Mm-hmm. Is it improving marginally? Um, my, my perspective on this is that a lot of these environments are almost intrinsically um, women unfriendly and somewhat family unfriendly. Yeah. Where, and you worked on Wall Street, so you might be able to speak to this. Yeah. Though you worked in like a slightly gentler sector. A little gentler, yeah. So we have this 
uh, winner take all marketplace. And if you look at finance and tech and media, the winner take all dynamics are all consuming where it's like, look, if we get this deal or we get this market or whatnot, like we're all going to be rich. And then mm-hmm. if we don't, we are all going to be poor. <laughs> so, yeah. so everyone needs to go, go, go. And you come and be like, look, you need to work, uh, you know, round the clock. You need to be available all the time and you do it for years on end. Um, and then you'll reap these massive rewards. Um, and so these cultures are like completely subject to um, these market dynamics. Mm-hmm. And so then if a woman enters this organization, it's like, hey, like maybe I don't feel like working 78 or 80 hours a week. Um, if you adopted the same standard for everyone, like women would look up and be like, you know, l- let's say I want to have a kid at some point. Right. Let's say I actually want some some like, you know, family time and the mm-hmm. rest of it. Um, then they'll naturally self-select and be like, hey, let me like right. leave this place at a certain point. Um, and then the organization will be back to square one being like, you know, where are all the women in, in right. senior management leadership? Right. So there are certain cosmetic things they could do around it being like, maybe we should have more generous policies than this. But the culture itself is going to be geared towards the market that they're in. Right. Oh, now, do I think that this is great? No. Do I think this should be a four-day work week, which, by the way, would, would end up would help, um, more. help, you know, like help everyone? Because, like, you know, this is burning dudes out, too. Like, yes. this is like everyone's kind of going crazy. Um, so that it's it's not purely a gendered thing. So I would love it if organizations adopted more uh, humane cultures right. and paces and you didn't have to answer uh, your phone and your email after a certain hour and like the rest of like all that right. stuff would make me very happy. Right. But uh, I, I will will suggest that if even if you made these cultural shifts, um, it's a very, very different struggle than the struggle that most men or, or families are experiencing. Right. Because like the tendency is for media employees to think of things in the same way as happening in their company. Right. But, you know, what's happening in their company is completely distinct from what's happening in, you know, some working class town in Missouri. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses that's tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com yang. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. I've always considered myself a feminist, mainly because I grew up. I grew up with a badass mom. Like my mom was, uh, 
like on one hand, like a super mom from the like the, P, the traditional definition of like the minivan and the PTO, that sort of thing. But she always worked. She was a special ed teacher, but then did part time teaching and tutoring. And then now is still working to this day and well in her 60s. And I mean, the, the town like I mean, the town gave her she was citizen of the year in, in uh, where I grew up and, and things like that. But she is well known for being just a remarkable kind of a badass worker and machine. Her mom was a nurse when she was growing up. Like I've grown up with like my grandma's a nurse, like my uh, my dad's side of the family had strong women like uh, his mom worked. Like I've grew up grown up with that. And so I've always kind of what you're saying before. I've always had this when the feminist movement was really getting teeth in like the 90s and 2000s. And as I got out of college as an ally to this movement, I was like, oh, you're right. Like, I think the patriarchy has gone a little too far. I think uh, asshole men have gone a little too far. It's like important to take a step back, maybe not say anything like it's, it's um, we've had our turn. And because of this, good things have happened objectively. Like there's more women in STEM, women in sports. I think you've seen a lot of good come from it. But my problem that I have with the feminist movement today, because in certain environments, it's sidelining men and boys or not focusing on their relationship with masculinity, whether growing up as men or as men or growing up as boys, it's creating weak men. And when there are more weak men, the people who suffer the most are women. Like having weak men hurts women. And what do I mean by weak men? That's what we're talking about. Well, they don't, the seeds of dysfunctional men are, have taken root and you start to see more apathy, more hate, more destruction, more pornography, more alcohol, like everything you're talking about in the numbers. And that, what happens then? What are the social consequences? And you talk about them in your book, but it's domestic violence going up. It's sexual violence growing up. It's more Me Too incidents. It's suicides and drug overdoses. Like these hurt women so, generally speaking, more than men. So I 100% agree that there are all of these ills that are born of men who are not thriving. Right. And so we should be trying to help men thrive in various ways. You'd have to draw a, a straighter line for me in terms of how you think the feminist movement is is increasing the weakness among men. And this is not – so So my, my feeling on the uh, – like the feminist movement, I generally – consider myself pro just about everything on, on like on, under the sun for women um, like and in the policies they're advocating totally for yes one of the things that makes me concerned about it is that it, it seems to sometimes ignore the struggling and failing of um, male figures pretty much like hey if you're a guy and you're failing like you know tough lights on you like you're kind of like the source of the problem mm -hmm. um and uh, like i that if that attitude were widespread then i can see why you're saying uh hey this is not helping guys uh thrive is that what you're saying what i'm saying is what you're seeing in frankly our primary schools and early education where girls are dominating boys and you have we have this environment where we think we need that we need to do more for the women which is what the feminist movement is about but you're seeing the guys get shellacked. And that's where, where the kids are, they're more likely to get suspended. They're more likely to drop out of school. They're more likely to go down the list. And I think not helping boys and men, or boys in particular, understand their masculinity and their relationship to that at a younger age, and then telling them, oh, you need, you can't do that because, like, because you're a boy, or we need to let the girls go first. I don't think is helping. And I know that feels right because I do think men have been shitty this entire time. 
but the problem is some of the tactics we are using. Do you have do you have insight or data or studies in terms of what's happening at the grade school level and how it's affecting? Because so are there boys failing at the school level at much higher rates than would be, in my uh, opinion, acceptable? Like, yes, like there are, there are boys failing uh, right and left. Is that because they're being treated differently in school? I, I just haven't seen the, any. So the numbers I have are the typical boy is a year and a half behind the typical girl in reading and writing. Less, I buy it. Um, full-time enrollments in college are substantially more female than yes. men. Uh, suspended, more likely to be suspended male, more likely to drop out or be held back a grade men. They're three times more likely to receive a diagnosis of ADHD. Yes. More likely to get involved in, in crime, alcohol, and drugs. Yes. Um, Girls more likely to attempt suicide, but boys more, boys more likely to succeed. A typical year, this was 97 data, so the number's gotten worse since this, and the article I pulled was older, but uh, it was of the f 97, for example, of the almost five uh, 4,400 young people aged 5 to 24 committing suicide, 700 were female, and 3,700 were men. So, so I, I agree that the outcomes for boys are um, much more adverse, and you have... Uh, all, all of these structural deficiencies. You're saying what about the feminist movement is not doing or, is, or, is causing or like this. How, Yeah, how's like the, so the, so the feminist movement, one of the issues to me is that it's obscuring all these struggles among men and boys. Okay. Um, because it's saying like, hey, men, your mistreatment uh, and marginalization of us is the problem, which implicitly puts men in the position of success and power, which is true if you look at the, the uh, you know, super lucrative fields, uh, like, and a bunch of other things. Like you, it is true that right. like men are the top layer. Correct. Um, uh, but it, it seems to obscure all of these struggles and failings am among men. And that part pains me greatly. And that's, like, I think that's what, that is what I'm saying in that we have this narrative that the men are the problem and the men are, it, this, it's skewed towards helping men. And by the numbers, it's not. And in fact, if a man does, a man does, call this out or say he's struggling or is struggling with in school or that sort of thing, you're not seeing the same help or resources and prioritization from either educators or the media in that sense. In a sense, men feel more ashamed. One of the things that uh, I see very clearly, and I'd like, love people to understand this, is that when you think about the feminist movement, I think it tends to be most prevalent among uh, women who are college educated or like, you know, uh, in the educated classes. And so then I think women in those environments are looking up and saying, hey, why, why do men run everything? Like, why is it so hard to get ahead? Right. And, and then that's the nature of the conversation. Right. And then you have uh, the non-educated folks where it's like you have men failing right and left, you have boys failing right and left. Um, and then if they look up and see this conversation up here, it, it tends to miss some of like the, you know, the central uh, struggles. You know, it's a little bit just environment specific. Right. You know, like, like do I think that women are being harassed, discriminated against in like the average uh, investment bank? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Is that a problem? Yes. Like, so Correct. like, so, so they're not mutually exclusive. Right. It's like, like you, you have uh, this set of issues and then you, but uh, I, I think that often it's getting presented as if this college educated professional layer is, is the, is the entirety of society. Like that's my issue with it uh, is just like, look, is the waitress at the diner going to benefit um, you know, like that to me right. would be the, the test. Um, it, it's one reason why, you know, I'm for things like universal basic income. It's like, you know, that that would help the waitress, the diner also not get harassed. Right. Uh, you know, like there, there are different versions of it. 
the, the single biggest thing we could do is economically empower individuals so that they're not subject to exploitation, harassment, et cetera. And that would help women much more than, than men um, across the board, though I'm sure it would help men too who are in, in various environments. And so this is one of the cases I was making on the presidential, which I failed at, um, was trying to go to feminists saying like, look, universal basic income is the most pro-feminist policy under the sun. Correct. Uh, you know, if you just think of that victim of uh, domestic violence who wants to be able to walk away but can't because, uh, you know, that they're economically uh, captive, that waitress who wants to leave that diner because the boss is an asshole but can't because they can't even miss a shift without, like, you know, the bottom falling out. Like, this is the most feminist thing we could do. Um, and this other stuff, you know, like, I get it. It's important. But, like, th this stuff is not as central to the – uh, the problems of women writ large. And again, I failed at this. Right. Well, I failed in making that case right. successfully. Or letting it, to, it uh, to So if there are any people listening to this right now who are like, hey, like I'd love to make basic income, you know, like the central part of the feminist agenda that I wish it were, like, please, 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 like, you know, take it up. So we have a system at the educational level, K through 12, where it is benefiting women right now more than men by the numbers. The women, or let's say women are thriving more than the men. Fine, great, this is what we want. We want to build strong, healthy women. The problem is when the men who are not succeeding in those environments are not just getting beat by the girls, darn, getting the second place trophy, whatever it is, they're disintegrating. Yep. They're disintegrating. Yep. And when they disintegrate, it causes a ton of problems for everybody, but substantially more problems for women. And for example, right now, we, I mean, what's our conversation around mental health? It's, it's, not a, it's not a conversation around men and it needs to be. When you talk about mental health, it frankly is a male problem. Mental health issues are three times worse in men. Than, I mean, go down the list. Suicides, deaths of despair, triple for men, particularly white men in this country. And that's who we're talking about failing in these systems. And what, are happening, what happens when those men are weak? Disaster for women in particular. It's a disaster for everyone. Um, so one of the the problems with this phenomenon is that being good at school is now seen as uh, something girls do. Feminine, yeah. As feminine. Uh, as more, more boys grow up without their father in the home and as women are viewed as the more stable achievers, boys and girls alike come to see males as having a lower achievement orientation and less aptitude for higher education. College becomes something that many girls, but only some boys do, the opposite of the earlier cultural norm. Yep. You know what the biggest cause of crime is? Stronger than race or income? Lack of a father. How nuts is that? Yeah, so so you're seeing this decimation of the traditional two-parent family household. Right. You're seeing all these adverse outcomes and uh, boys struggle more. Uh, and then you have a culture that completely ignores any struggles among um, working class boys and, and men and just be like, oh, you know, like that, nothing to see there. Like the real problem is male oppress, uh, oppression yes. of, uh, of women, let's say. We're not getting enough women in these roles or we're not, yeah, keep, yeah. yeah. No, no, it, it's very narrow and institutionalized. That's my issue with it, is that like, if if you're a college educated woman and you look up at your professional environment and be like, hey, there should be more women in charge. Sure, get yes. it, agree. It's like, you know, but that, that can't be like the focus of the struggle because like there are a lot of women who are not in that professional services environment right. there, you know, but that like, uh, that's my issue with it is that it, it seems again, a little bit, uh, it's just a bit too narrow, in my opinion. Right. Um, 
there's data to back that up. I mean, equality has gone up in. And again, for most of the things that people are advocating for, it's just, you know, like when I spoke to women's group groups when I was running for president, I was like, just think bigger. Think like, yes. <laughs> you know, think about uh, about true economic, you know, freedom. And uh, so one of the, the problems is that if you're held captive to market based dynamics and rewards, um, then, you know, it's going to wind up again with like winner take all. Right. Um, economics and like certain very male dominated environments. So it's like, look, you had to like try and rewrite the rules of the economy so that it's not rewarding all these things at a super high level. Don't just go into the organization, take the rules for granted and being like, you know, like women should be sharing in these like rewards right. for being frankly, in many cases, just like totally insane. <laughs> well, no, that, that's, that was a UBS which experience. Is, which is probably the Wall Street experience. Right? I cannot tell you how many young women that were working for me or I was asked to mentor whether through the analyst program, associate program, things like that. And they said to me every single time, like, I don't have either any or many strong female role models in this company. And it's because in order to get to the top at a certain level, the women are acting like men. And those men are also acting like psychos in the sense that you're just capitalist market driven, right? And so yeah. women and men are selling their souls at the top. And there's young women in particular, like, I don't want to be like that, right? Um, and you look at them and be like, I'm not sure you should want to yeah, be I'm like that. I, I've said that. I don't even want to be that like that. That was my response. I'm like, well, see, if you're looking for that, this isn't the place, right? And that's that's hard um, because men are able to have it all in that sense. There, are pl there's, there were not a lot, but there were a few men that I thought balanced that kind of capitalist society because, frankly, and that is a conversation on gender roles and why men are allowed to do that and things like that. Or allowed is the wrong term, but I think you know what I mean. Oh, one of the things I was very open about in the presidential is when people said to me something like, hey, thank you for doing this. I say, thank my wife because yeah. I could not do this if not for Evelyn right. um, making certain choices uh, right. that I appreciate all the time. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. The But I guess my point that I was making is that I, I think this is missing in the feminist conversation that if you want to protect women and create a, create a society of strong women, you need to have a society of strong men. I agree. And that is counterintuitive. It doesn't make any sense on the face of it well, well, until you look into any of the numbers. Well, well, well this, this is part of it too, is that there's like a zero sum power differential thing. It's like, hey, you have too yes. much, give some back. And so it, it, it ends up being like a us or them, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, whereas in this context, it's like, you know, demanding again in these professional uh, service environments, like, should they try and open it up? Yes. Like, you know, should we be trying to open it up for the, like these struggling boys and girls, uh, you know, who, who aren't giving a, a, a meaningful shot or a path in this economy? Yes. Like it, it's the, the greater problem is that we have been cast into this mild obsession with various identity categories and it's being presented as zero sum. Mm. It's like, look, you know, the problem is the like person in this category and that they have too much and you know, that that's the problem. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, and, and so if you put that in terms of gender, then it ends up again, missing all of the struggles uh, among men of certain backgrounds and certain environments. Yeah. And, and one of the things I loved about your book was, was, was so mind blowing was that, you talked about folks that were working class or not making a lot of money at the poverty line or so and how miserable they were and how hard it was. And then you talked about the 1% and what they're doing. They have a ton of money and they're equally as miserable. Um, and so it's killing all of us. 
I wanted to ask though, okay, universal basic income mindset of abundance would solve a lot of this, particularly for empowering women, frankly. I think this would, um, if you're talking about women handling idleness better, UBI allows you to be somewhat idle um, or not working all the time for your mere existence. It ends up recognizing yeah. work that right now the market values at zero. Correct. Which includes caregiving, parenting, you know, like a lot of other things that women do yes. disproportionately. Yes. The, other, the next question, though, is like, OK, let's say Biden, the next two presidents don't pass UBI. They don't prioritize it. Um, or it's one reason, did. by the way, why I'm so excited about the child tax credit. Because it's close. Yeah, like it, it's so good. Yes. And it, it, it does start to, to put money in the hands of parents uh, who, again, are going to be disproportionately women, starts recognizing some of the, yes. the work that's happening which is going to be done by disproportionately women. So what my, my question is helps keep families together. Because if you have a bunch of men who are unemployed, you start giving them money. Right now, the vast majority are probably there's gonna be some that are more entrepreneurial or get out of the basement, start moving, some start becoming strong and whole, get repaired. But probably most are gonna use that as their their, their video game budget for the, the month or whatever it is, right? And start spending it on things that are not necessarily great. What can, and maybe the answer is nothing because we're not good at this, but can the government do anything to kickstart this? Can, and it's both, it's repairing broken men and then building strong boys in the future. Like what are government policies to do that that aren't as grand as UBI? Is there anything governments can do or businesses? Like what should be done? I've believed for a long time that the best thing you can do for just about anyone is give them an opportunity that they're excited about, uh, that, that stretches them. Yes. So ideally speaking, you would create a vast array of opportunities for people, but I'm just going to focus on men for this conversation, mm -hmm. for men of different educational backgrounds uh, that are a good fit for them that they're excited about. So let's say you have, for example, a giant infrastructure program. Is that going to employ a bunch of men of different educational backgrounds? Yes. Mm -hmm. Love it. Let's do that. Yep. Uh, you know, like, should we be putting money into the hands of consumers so that it can flow to small businesses that might need to hire more people at every different skill level? Yes, we yep. should do more of that. Uh, should we be putting money into nonprofits, schools, government agencies that might be able to help create certain opportunities. And, and if you look at different categories of opportunities, uh, like I am for the government as like, uh, you know, you, you have to have the government uh, play a role in some of this stuff. Uh, I do think the government creating a job is like, you know, like the least attractive. Mixed results. On that <laughs> yeah, one, yeah, like what, what you like directly, whereas the yeah. government just says, hey, just I'm going to hire you. this person. Because if the government just says, hey, I'm going to hire this person, then, uh, you know, th then you essentially need to pay for it in perpetuity for that job to continue existing. Right. Um, there are some government jobs that we need more of and we should 100 percent do. And there are others like, eh, you know, like a, a little bit less clear. Mm -hmm. Uh, so you'd prefer like a, a degree of ad adaptability and feedback um, right. built in. Um, so it, it's one reason why if you did something stimulative, stimulative of small businesses, that's ideal because the small businesses then hire people in the vicinity and then it, it's very, very 
feedback oriented and um you know yep. you, and you don't necessarily need to pay for it forever like maybe they work at that small business for a few years and then move on to another and etc cetera, etc cetera. like right. like those things uh would would be the ideal this stuff is all heading the opposite direction I mean, like the labor force participation rate during COVID has dropped yep. significantly. People are fleeing jobs right and left for a variety of reasons. Uh, and every time people flee the workforce, I get really nervous because a lot of people will end up um, atrophying. Now, some of it, totally cool with. Some of it, it's like, look, you were in a shitty job and you wanted to uh, take a break, reskill, see the world, retrain, find yourself, like all for it. There are some... People, though, who are not going to do anything particularly self-developmentally positive right. and, you know, may, maybe it's just going to become. And, and so this is back to the seeds of male failure right. we're, we're talking about is that let's say that you were a guy and you like had to wear a business suit every day and you like had meetings and, you know, like you had you had to be in front of people. And it was like relatively important. So you're kind of being forced to function at a high level. Mm -hmm. um, now, let's say that we make that stuff virtual. So now instead of having to put on a business suit, um, maybe you put on a shirt and then you're wearing boxer shorts and yep. it's all waist up and you're just like doing Zoom from your house. Uh, then you have to be a little bit less on the ball. <laughs> and then, yeah. then maybe, let's say, I get rid of the Zooms even. <laughs> like, you know, you don't do audio. anything all day. Yeah. Like, uh, like men are kind of responsive to our environments in that way. And, and so this is like the seeds of male failure we talk about. It's like I consider myself a pretty high-functioning, productive guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and, and the rest of it. Um, but there are guys around me um, who are just chilling. And some of the chilling is not going to lead to positive places i've felt this personally i always thought i was like a pretty self-starter type i'm way better with some form of structure i will bend the rules of said structure like when i was on wall street i started a nonprofit, tried to mix Complete. them up but you know Complete. but yeah having that place to go that sense of people and i'm also an extrovert so seeing people like i get energy like shooting shit that's one reason my co-working spaces had such appeal yeah you know it's like having a place to go and you'd see people you're part of something's an environment yes. you can maybe make a business contact. Yes. The other piece, the bigger piece of this is, um, it's maybe the Republican in me saying this, but the, the decline of the American family sounds, it seems catastrophic. Oh, and, and, and this is something that when I was four, people would label me as sort of conservative. I'm like, look, the data shows clearly that kids brought up in two parent households is just much more likely to be positive. Awesome. Yes. And so if you're like a Republican or conservative, they did some stuff around marriage that I was like, sure. Like I said, free marriage counseling. Anyone yeah. who wants, anyone wants to try and keep the marriage together, it's a societal win. Yes, and that was my question: Is it what can the government do to keep men and women married? Um, the single, get them married and keep the them single married? biggest thing the government could do would be to have stable, prosperous livelihoods for men. Yeah. Because then the men would uh, be like, all right, I guess I, I want to propose to someone. And then the women would be like, I actually want to marry this yes, guy. Yes, right. <laughs> and, and, and then you have kids. There'd be two of you. And, like, you know, like the kid would have a real shot. The single biggest thing we could do would be to create more jobs for, uh, for men of every educational level. And I think that's like back to my original point. We're, our eyes off the ball in the feminist movement. And it, and it pains me because I think a lot of what I've wanted to do is not say anything in that Letting the women, this is like, this is the woman's movement. Like, let's go. Like, it's about time. We're behind as a country. And now it's like, hey, if we forget about all the men we're like sidelining in this process who are hurting to begin with and don't focus on them, it's going to come back and bite everybody. Well, well, here's the problem is that 
society pays an inordinate amount of attention to the outliers. Mm. So there are going to be a whole host of male outliers that are going to make it seem like the men are like, you know, running stuff and like dominating. Yes. And they are. No, no. Even if if the, yeah, even if the average dude is languishing, Mm. if you just pay attention to the outliers, you're going to see a bunch of dudes and you're going to be like, oh, that, that like it's the dudes in charge. Fuck that shit. If I want yes. some kind of equity in the rest of it. I got to take it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, the, the rest of it. Aside, but but if yeah. you look at the rank and file, the average, like, you know, the, the, the average guy uh, is, uh, you know, not attending college and then, you know, like uh, mm-hmm. not able to, to find a, a secure path. And at the margins, that person winds up self-destructive or even uh, externally destructive. And here's the other piece. That man in power if his relationship with his own masculinity is destructive, like maybe he came from great, like you're going to have, in order to get to that CEO level, you're going to have to have some sort of structure around you, whether it's two parents or educational opportunities and drive and things like that. But if he is thinking with the wrong head or has the wrong perspective on how he should treat women, this is where the Me Too stuff happens over and over, right? And if the, maybe the feminist movement is like, get that asshole out of there. And I agree with that, right? Like there's a certain element of... Well, so this is something, and I, you know, this isn't part of what we've been talking about, but I, I suppose like it's where my mind goes. Um, so the Me Too movement, I believe, got kicked off around a couple of monstrous predators. Yes. In the form of Bill Cosby and Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. Who'd been just complete, like criminal predatory some awfulness there yeah like again uh, like monster is like the word that just sticks in my mind yeah and so there was this rightful let's get these guys you know like he- the heck out of society a position where they can do any harm uh they should be in prison like agree with all that mm-hmm. i mean evelyn was a victim of a serial predator right like uh, a guy in, like in, that that you're like who's being uh, you know like indicted right now and belongs behind bars and so, institutions Cover that shit off. Yeah, or back, yeah. or even so, so that, that, that stuff them, right? is very, very yeah. That stuff is very, very dark. There's yes. like a lot of just like nothing to oh, see here. Shit. Institutionalization. Yes. Um, now that stuff, uh, in, in my mind, uh, has um, not distinguished as much as it could between behavior like Cosby's or Weinstein's or Dr. Haddon's and like an Al Franken. Yeah, where like Al, Al Franken did some stuff that was off color and insensitive, and then was. Uh, cast out in his case he you know resigned uh, from the senate i got the sense that there was some regret afterwards being like oh maybe that was a little hasty Mm -hmm. um you know so that there are like different degrees and there are some people uh who say like no harassment is harassment or like uh, power you know it's like like abuse is abuse or something along those lines and like a lot of reasonable guys look up and be like wait like al franken is no he's not harvey weinstein yeah he's he's no predator at that scale at all because guys know the seeds of dysfunctional masculinity have sowed much deeper in a Harvey Weinstein than yeah, they yeah, have like in you, an Al Franken. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, guys, ju- like, you can see and be like, oh, that guy, that like, that guy belongs behind bars for sure. And then when there's a guy who screws up in a way, it's like, as a guy, you'd be like, oh, like, I can see uh, myself screwing up that way. I can see a lot of people I know screwing up that way. And then when that person gets cast out, then you're a little bit like, well, that, that uh-huh. doesn't seem right, right. Because, like, that's something that, you know, isn't, like, uh, as worthy of recrimination or, or right. punishment. So that is one principle I think would be important is that if you have um, like a pro-woman movement, which I agree with, like you should make a distinction between someone who does something truly predatory, monstrous criminal and someone who's just an idiot. 
or like mm -hmm. if there's a guy who makes like a, a like a an unwelcome pass at you and then you don't like it and you shut it down or whatever um, um and he or you struggle with it like and and then you present it as like oh you know there's like an unwanted advance and like uh, the, the rest of it's like like well, if the person stopped, then you know it's like. Right. <laughs> guy, like, like you say you want. Like, if you think guys are stupid, you have to teach them, right? Like, like how does yeah, a young yeah, man of learn? That as, yeah, like you, where the line is. Now, I'm not saying that means I have to like sprint past the line, right? But for a young a young male to be too grabby one time because and learn the hard way, like that is so different than Harvey Weinstein, and we need to talk about the difference, right? That man can turn into Harvey Weinstein, right? If not taught. But that man can also turn into a, a a gem, right? And that's what I'm talking about. I mean, that actually is is that's core to me. I mean, like grabby is pretty bad. Grabby, <laughs> like, okay, you're right. So we're defining so how you define grabby, right? Like, yeah. let's get real. Like, like the guys. Like, when I said when I said unwanted advance, uh, I was saying like uh, you know like you weren't like you know like you were you like asked someone out in a clumsy awkward way and maybe correct. You're in a position I'm not talking about the guy who grabs at the ass of the waitress at a bar. What yeah, I'm talking like that, about yeah. is a high schooler making out with a girl around second base or tries around second base and gets his hand slapped. Is that an unwanted advance? Yes, it is. But the guy is, he's, we're talking about a 15-year-old learning, right? Now, that woman could probably go public and say he tried to grope me and sexually assaulted me. And I don't know if that's actually accurate. Or not. Maybe it was, maybe it's too much, or maybe it's a guy learning. Um, I don't, how does a guy learn if not? Now he's going to ask every time. There's, there's passion involved in this. There's youth involved in this. I don't know. As the parent of two sons, yeah. uh, like I, I, like Evelyn and I chat about this sometimes. It's like, you do live in like a degree of, and in my case, I'll just say like, we live in fear of them uh, becoming adolescents and like, you of know, course. developing a sex drive and just generally, because like right now they're nine and six. And so right, they're, you know, they're it, yeah, yeah, yeah uh, the rest of it. But you see it. And uh, Christopher is autistic. So he's very, very unmindful of social cues. Right. And so the odds of him saying or doing something uh, inappropriate, very, very high. Right. And you do this and you factor in hormones, social pressures, high school pressures, college pressures, drinking, drugs, alcohol, right? Understanding that to me is core to helping men and, but men and women, but particularly men understand their masculinity and learn what's right and wrong. Society wide, I, I do think that we are experiencing something of a breakdown of the American male psyche. And the, the big question is whether we can manage through it. If we don't try and manage through it in an effective genuinely empathetic way, um, with, by the way, some effective policy measures that help create livelihoods for men at, at different levels mm -hmm. uh, of the educational spectrum, we're, we're going to devolve into civil war and the rest of it. Yeah. Like, like you know, almost certainly. Uh, and there isn't a whole lot of movement in this space. Um, like, if you say things that are sympathetic to men, you get beaten up. As oh, like I'm sure I'll get somehow. crushed for this podcast. It's so there's like an oversimplification of American life where it's like you can be pro women and want to fix dudes like that. That's like to me, those yeah. things actually ideally go hand in hand. I'm making the argument that if I want to be pro women, I got to be pro men like that. That sounds it's ridiculous. But that is my point. Uh, I, I don't think you have to agree I, with no, it. But I, I, think you understand. I agree yeah. that uh, if you want women to be treated better in American life, you would want to cultivate and develop 
strong men at every level of society. Yeah. yeah. And if you end up with weak men, bad shit will happen. Bad to everybody. Yes. Because, you know, some of those dudes will just like go. This is one thing that also bothers me. Uh, and maybe it's because I was a nerdy Asian kid growing up. Hmm. But that, like people talk about this like contempt for uh, guys who just like go in the basement, like, you know, live in their parents' basement, called incels, like involuntary celibates. They play games and there's such like contempt for that, that group of people. And it really bothers me because like I, I feel like one, I could have been one of those people. But two, um, like like why would you have contempt for someone who's struggling in that way? It's just like, uh, you know, like they should be people that you feel for. Like I feel a great deal of empathy um, for them. And so when people have contempt, be like, oh, like, you know, fucking incel, like fucking dudes in the parents' basement or whatever. I'm just like, you should be really concerned about like those people. Yeah. Those are the ones that shoot up schools. Yeah. Like, and they're members. human beings. And, yeah. you know, like they, they like have hopes and dreams like everyone else. And what, what happens is like when there are men whose hopes and dreams don't work out, they tend tend to kind of go inward and they feel like self-conscious and, Correct. you know, like feel this sense. Of, like I am so grateful that because when I was young, I felt these things very, very strongly, mm -hmm. very strongly. And, you know, like so imagine this. I'm in my 20s. Uh, you know, I have a job that most people consider good. I leave it to start uh, dot com that flames out. And so, like, my confidence is shot. Uh, I owe 100K plus in law school loans. Like, I, when I think about asking women out, I feel self-conscious about the fact that I can't uh, afford to, like, take them out on a fancy date. Yep. I get obsessed over the fact that I'm worth negative six figures, even though they don't know that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and so, oh, like, there, gosh, there's yes. all these things. Like, like, I didn't want to pay for a cab when we went someplace because it was like, you know, too pricey. Um, and so, <laughs> so... I know the feeling, man. So so there there was like this feeling and I felt like this angst and this anger um, for so long. And then if a woman didn't like me, I would think it was because like I didn't make enough money or I wasn't cool enough in that way. Um, like it's all like preying on me in a particular way. And I'm so grateful that I um, got the time to mature through it um, I, I'm super grateful for the level of success that I had during that period, which was not assured at all. Because, like, you know, my company fails. Next company runs out of money. Um, you know, I was, like, throughout my late 20s, um, things weren't going that well for me professionally. And my confidence was not great. My dating life wasn't great. Right. Um, and then it was really only when I got a job that was a good fit for me um, and then became more confident and positive. And then I met Evelyn around the same time, which was no accident. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and this was in my early thirties when it started to, to, um, really grow. So for guys who want that sense of validation and progress, uh, and not to get it, you know, like I, I, I feel for them. Yeah. How did you get through it? Cause you're talking about nine to 12 years there between your first job well, that, it, it was really only about seven years and they okay. were difficult seven years so like i graduated from law school when i was 24 i'm an attorney for five months hate it uh leave to start a fail.com and so the struggles then begin okay at uh age 25 okay um I've so the law so, school it was, yeah. so it was 25 to 31 my mid to late 20s were very very difficult for me yeah. on, uh, in this light and then when a relationship went south or you know again like a woman uh, you know wasn't into it or whatever like I would just feel so bad about myself. I'd feel so deficient. Yes. Um, what did you do? I went to the gym a lot. I just like freaking pumped iron and drank protein shakes and uh, brought it up. 
um, that helped. Like it, it, yeah. it, you know, I mean, it's it's like you all have different mechanisms. Well, that, that's what, <laughs> that was what I want to talk about. Like guys have, but guys have mechanisms. Or if they don't, and they let them creep up on them, right? Where some guys, um, you know, like a. I guess I'm saying there's destructive ways and there's somewhat positive ways to deal with it, right? Like you went to the gym, poured yourself into work, right? Other guys will, I mean, get as drunk as they can and try and screw anything that moves it when they go to a bar, right? Some guys will uh, get addicted to pornography or drink too much or drugs and escaping or... Uh, oh, and, and, and this is one of the things I shared with you before is that there's like a an arc of time where if you go too long... It gets harder to uh, forge a healthy relationship. It gets harder mm-hmm. to start a family. You know, it's like a like a uh, so again feel feel very fortunate. Um, but I, you know, I, I did have those coping mechanisms for those years. It was, but it, like I, I do remember it being really angsty and difficult. Uh, I was very angry, and, and my confidence really came and went. Yeah, for me, it was. Um... It was women. It was like I was like a serial dater. I just needed. It was like the attention validation I needed to know if uh, that women liked me or that they could they would go on a date with me or would date me for a month or that sort of thing. And I would. I was like I broke up with my. I was a, co- I had a girlfriend in college. Like it's pretty serious. And then we broke up. She was a year younger. It's so, like didn't work when I, when I moved to city. And so it was just like not dealing with that. Conceptually, I didn't, you know, yeah, she was great, and I wasn't sure if we were ever gonna get married, but it's more of like a, like it was a blow to the ego when you when there's a breakup, right? So you just find ways to numb it. But I agree, there's like this when you're young in your career, it's tough to like. I was in the analyst programs. There's like so much like accolades or success you could have at that age. So it was yeah, just pour yourself into something that distracts you. The thing I'm trying to figure out is how do you scale that for other men, you know? Um, One of my grand ideas when I was running for president uh, would be to just have mixed martial arts academies around the country. For free? For free. Mm. And then have county competitions, statewide competitions, regional competitions, and national competitions where you essentially are building like a giant tribe of guys who who have a relatively healthy outlet uh, Mm. beating the shit out of each other and then just becoming like, you know, and then they'd come together and like, watch their champion compete against other champions. Now, some people would hear this and be like, this sounds like, you know, like the broiest thing in the world or whatever. Like, I, I see it as like a very, very important pressure release or valve um, because people need uh, a sense of belonging and competition and purpose. Uh, and you need guys to be able to channel that in positive ways or they'll channel them in negative ways. I think bro is only bad when it's associated with being a fundamental asshole or mistreating women. The big thing in, in what my dad does in, with men's ministries, it's, there's a Bible verse that says, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. And I think that's so fucking true. Like men need to talk to other men because trying to navigate this alone or even with women around you is just not the same. But men understand this struggle instinctively. It's biological, obviously, by the numbers, right? So I agree. It's, it's outlets. It's... um. I mean, we, we, we have them somewhat, right? I think sports are an outlet in that sense, video games, right? Like, but some of these... Um, some are healthier than others. Right, yeah. exactly. They're not all great, and there's not enough. Um, and to me, it's more just letting men talk about it. And so I, 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 we had Liz Plank on this podcast, 
and she's talked about letting boys cry. I don't agree with everything, Liz. I think she goes too too far on some of this, but I do think what what her and I agree with strongly is that a man's relationship to his masculinity is, um, you could argue it should be one of the most important things the government focuses on, um, yep. which sounds ridiculous for a lot of the things we're well, trying you know, to do And a lot of the ally. people we're talking about here would think the government would fuck this up. Yes, uh, you're probably right. But it actually hasn't been that bad in um, in the past because a lot of it has to do with a strong economy. Um, a strong economy. You know, one of the major shapers uh, of men is the military. <laughs> You're right. The government's actually not bad at this. <laughs> I don't know. That, that, that would be my exhibit A. Yeah. Is like, hey, the, the military has taken a lot of guys who would have been trouble. <laughs> yes. And, and made them into high-functioning members of society. Yes. And I think one of the biggest problems – actually – Big problem with the military is when they come back, we don't continue that. Like a lot of these men yeah. have extreme structure um, and, and they lose it. And that's a big problem. Big problem. As a lot of people felt in COVID. So anyway, I'm glad we dove into this. Fixing American masculinity, uh, but not in the way that people ordinarily talk about it. Because, you know, when you, when you say that. And Caitlin Flanagan makes the this contrast between heroic masculinity and toxic masculinity. Right. And that we need to talk more about the former. Like the the purpose that is very positive around building things and uh, achievement in a positive way. The man, the protector. The yeah, man, the looking provider, out for people. The man, the, the, the decision maker at times. Um, like these are good traits. Yeah. The, they are needed in a healthy society. Self-sacrifice. Yes. That there is a male, a male impulse around that. Yes. And like these are traits that are inherently male. Men do can do them and feel appreciated when they do do them. But when you're told you're mask, you're being too toxic in your masculinity. You have broy energy here. You have this or that. I understand there is sometimes truth to that, right? And there's been a problem. But we're throwing the baby out with the bath bathwater. Um, and I think it's hurting women just as much as it's hurting men. And that's the that's my that's my takeaway. That's my that's my soapbox for today. Um, I'm glad we talked about this. And it's, you know what this is, Andrew? It's a distraction from the morning I'm in because the Buffalo Bills lost a heartbreaker. Yeah, that, so that game sad. was insane. I felt so bad for you and every Bills fan. So uh, after they go up by four points and 13 seconds left, I was like, they win. They win, right? They win. So, like, here's what I will say, and then I'm done. For 20 years, we've been begging for a quarterback. Like someone that could win when the game's on the line to play at an elite level. He right? won. He won that and shit twice. We're down by four. He won that shit twice. We're down by four, and he goes down, drives down the field, and there's two minutes left. It was fourth and 13. We throw a touchdown pass. Two minutes left in the game. Like, oh my God, we're going to win. And then Patrick Mahomes comes down the field and scores on us in one massive play. We're like, oh my gosh. So he has a minute left and three timeouts. And then just, Josh Allen does it again. I'm just glad it happened quick. When the Chiefs scored that touchdown, I was like, at least they did it with time on the It clock. was like when I play in Madden, I let them win because I know I'm Yeah, yeah. It was off. almost like yes. they let them score a touchdown. Uh, so there's a minute left, three timeouts, and Josh drives him down the field again with this. I mean, he was amazing. He was absolutely insane. We scored a touchdown, 13 seconds left, and I'm like, half me, the Bills fan of me, is like, too much time. Too much time. And then Patrick Mahomes, two plays, 45 yards, gets in a field goal range, ties up the game. We go to overtime. They win the coin flip. Josh Everyone's Allen. Everyone's exhausted. Everyone's beat. Defense gets blown. Like, Josh Allen doesn't touch the ball and we lose. So it's like, 
We finally get a quarterback, and he does it twice. He does he it, did it twice. twice. He did it twice. And we didn't win, and it's so heartbreaking, and there's, like, all this stuff in the national media about how this was probably the greatest playoff football game it was ever. Um, and the greatest quarter – I mean, he's – he has the top quarterback performance of two games in the playoffs in playoff history. Josh Allen, that's our quarterback, and we lost. Um, and so I, I can't watch, I can't look at the, the commentary. So this is my my venting. Um, thank I you. I thought Andrew. for you, man. It was Thanks, it man. was an incredible game, and it did make me feel like for all the Bills fans out there, uh, you lost in the most noble way possible. Where it feels like if you just win the coin flip, you win. Yeah. So we played know. well. It's like last year we lost. You played we well enough to win. Well. Yeah. You played well enough to win. You could even make an argument you deserve to win. Yeah. Agreed. That's what that's what made the game so good, right? Um, Patrick Holmes is a freak. Uh, but, you know, you play that game in Buffalo. I think we come, obviously, I mean, we lost on a coin flip on the road. You could argue like with a slight home field advantage, we win it. Um, so we got to play better during the season. Like we lost the job. We had some tough losses this year. But. As much as look, the, the Bills are a young core. Like you guys are gonna be dealing with me. Bills being will be back. Excited. Bills will be back. Uh, the division the too. I mean, yeah. uh, outside of the Patriots, like it, should be back. Like the Jets will be bad for the foreseeable. And we will have a home AFC championship in Buffalo, and we will win it and go to the Super Bowl. And I will do this podcast from there, and it'll be wonderful. Uh, all right, y'all. We'll see you. That's a, a fitting way to end a conversation about masculinity. <laughs> Football. We love you guys. See you next week. <laughs>